Good morning. I've often heard the story of the little boy that was sitting by his dad at a Sunday morning worship service, and he watched the speaker take off his watch, and the little boy said, Dad, what does that mean? And the father said, absolutely nothing. So, but I promise you, I will get you out of here before 10 o'clock, okay? Our passage this morning is found in Genesis chapter 42, and we're going to begin reading with verse 29. And when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said, We are honest men. We're not spies. We are twelve brothers, one of sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. And the man said, the Lord of the land, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Now it came about that when they were emptying their sacks, and behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when that they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were dismayed. And their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol and sorrow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, use these words to challenge our heart, to know that your faithfulness is great and your mercy is abundant. In your good name we pray. Amen. The passage we want to look at, the phrase we want to look at is in verse 36 where Jacob says, All these things are against me. As I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking of incidences in the scriptures of people who have, may have had that emotion. And the one that stuck out to me in the Old Testament was the widow of Zarephath. Starting a small fire, fixing her last meal and a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And lo and behold, Elijah shows up and says, well, I'm here for dinner. What's for dinner? Can you imagine what she was thinking? What? Why me? Why now? Why this? Or you think of Mary about the death of a Lazarus. She lashes out at Jesus because Jesus had not been on time according to her schedule. And Lazarus dies. And underneath those statements are that concept, why me? Why now? Why this? Why do I need this? You ever said that in your heart? Ever said that in the quietness of your soul where you say, Lord, why me? Why does this have to happen to me? I don't need this right now. I don't, uh, Lord, I don't need this trial. We've all felt that. But it's interesting as you look through the whole life of Jacob, 
and especially in this passage, he forgot to remember, I think, three important things. And they are the same things that we forget today. First one he forgot, he forgot that the presence of God was with him. The presence of God was with him. I mean, you sit there in, in chapter 32. Jacob comes to ask for forgiveness of his brother Esau. And God had abundantly blessed Jacob. I counted. Jacob brought 550 animals to his brother Esau as a sign of forgiveness. God had blessed him abundantly. He had wrestled with God in the theophany and had been touched. And every day he had a limp, a scar to remind him that he had been in the presence of God. He experienced forgiveness by Esau. He's promised a future in chapter 35. And in chapter 35, verse 13, he has a, a, a powerful presence and an intimate encounter with the living God. All of these, all of these are powerful exchanges with God's character of his attributes of forgiveness and graciousness and kindness. And then he says, all these things are against me. We're no different than that. Stop and think of the time that you have had crises in your life. Times that you felt that God had abandoned you and that his presence wasn't with you. And you say, Lord, where are you? I was just talking to a gentleman this week on the phone, and he'd gone through some real crises in his life. And he, he said on the phone, he says, you know what, Stan? He said, I, I, for two weeks, I, I just forgot God. There was so much going on in my life, I just forgot about the Lord. He said, I, I wasn't being mean or mad, I just forgot and yet God had been very gracious to this man. And I think so often in the midst of crises, we forget who God really is. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, and he uses some incredible structure in the Greek. And he, he puts an emphasis and says, he, he himself delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom, as son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he, he himself is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he, he himself is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things are under our almighty God's control. When you think they're out of control and life is chaotic, God is in control. Oftentimes we, we go to Matthew chapter 6 for great comfort, and we should. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture that talks about God's reassurance of taking care of the, the birds of the air and, and feeding us, and even the hairs of our head are numbered, and some of us are getting fewer of those every day. But God is still in control. And at the end of that wonderful passage of, of comfort in chapter 6 and verse 30 says, O men of little faith, 
if you were not here last Wednesday night, you, you missed an incredible, incredible testimony of Heather Hasner and, and Steve and how God had brought her out of Vietnam and, and what they're going through now with her brain tumor. And, and she challenged all of us, and Stephen challenged all of us to get out of our boat, get out of our comfort zone, and really trust God in times of difficulty. You come over to chapter 8, 26, and the disciples are in the storm, and Jesus is taking a nap right in the midst of the storm. And they're crying out, Lord, save us! Naturally, as everybody would. And Jesus answered back, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Go to chapter 14, verse 31. Peter in the waves, you know the story well. And as he sinks, immediately Jesus takes him by the hand, and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, we, we can often knock Peter in that situation, but you know what? He got out of the boat, right? Yeah, he did. Come to chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, and I love this. They're ready to go to another place, and they, they don't have bread. And he says to them, you men of little faith, don't you understand and remember the 5,000 that I fed? The 4,000 that I fed? You know, don't you understand who he is and remember what he has done? That's who our God is. So often, it is so easy to forget that the presence of God is with us. One of two times only in the New Testament. John 10, 28 and 29 is the other. But in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, And Jesus said, I will never, ever, no, not ever, never leave you or forsake you. Triple negative. Terrible English, powerful Greek. And he says it for emphasis over and over and over. There's another thing that I think that Jacob forgot. The second thing, I think he forgot that God has a plan for him. Not only that he forgot that the presence of God was with him, but also that he had a plan for him. In Genesis 35, 11, he makes this. He says this to Jacob. I am God Almighty. A nation and kings will come from you. And it's interesting at the very beginning of this promise, he said, I am God Almighty. I am God. I have the character. I have the power to make this declaration to you. I am holy. I am perfect. I know what will happen. I am the one that can make this declaration. And there is none greater than I. I am God Almighty. And then he says, I am. What? I am the one who will accomplish this. I am the one that is accomplishing this. For I am Almighty. He never leaves his children. He has a plan that he will work out in their life. And so often we don't understand that plan, but we know that God always keeps his promises. Isn't that wonderful to know? Know that he doesn't fail. Know that though we do not see it in our 
with our eyes or experience it with our life, we know that many times God is working behind the scenes to bring things together to fulfill his plan and purpose. And then beginning in chapter 37 of the text, there's an interlude. And God introduces the whole development of Joseph as he moves from the pit to the prison to being the prime minister. God is working there. The one who was despised actually becomes the deliverer to his brothers. See, God is always working behind the scenes. Well, I don't see it. Well, I don't understand it. That's all right. God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't made boo-boos. He's not up there making mistakes on, oh, man, shouldn't have done that. He knows. He has a plan for us. And you see, it just, just like Jacob, God is working. He is taking his good character, his loving nature, and he's moving us through time according to his plan. Great, commit, great commitment is seen in Philippians 2.13. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he who began a work in you, what, will complete it. God's not going to leave it half done. He will complete his work in you, in his design and in his time. But the problem, it's, it's with us. Well, Lord, I want to know your, your plan instantly. Show me. Well, if it's got tough places in it and it's, it, it's not easy, I, I don't want that, Lord. I want the good stuff. No, that's not how it works. You know, we glibly quote Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good. We know that. But there's an interesting thing when it says this, and we know. Now, there's two ways that you can know. There's a word that you can know from experience that you touch the door frame that says wet paint. And what happens to your finger? Wet paint. If somebody says the stove is hot, what's your first reaction? Touch the stove. Oh, yeah, we know it's hot. But this is different. This is a different word for no. It is the word that means absolutely uncontested thought or fact. It is the sun will rise in the east. Why? Because that's the way that God has designed it. It will always rise in the east. It is knowledge that does not come from experience. It is knowledge that is based on established fact. And that's exactly the word here. And we know as an established fact, an unchangeable truth, that all things, all things work together for good. Now, that doesn't say all things are good. That doesn't say all things will become good and in and of themselves. But it does says say all things work together, what? To produce good. Well, Lord, I, I'm not sure about that. Well, that's an uncontestable truth. We know. We know. Look back on your life. Every one of you in this room has gone through crises. No one is exempt. If you haven't been through a crisis, you'll, you'll go through one. But stop and look 
and look back at the time that the crises took place. All things are good. Are you kidding me? Oh, you might not know the good for what? Days, weeks, months, years. But you look back and say, God used that in my life. That was a God encounter in my life. My life is different because I met the living God there. That's what I'm talking about. That's the good that comes about. And then it says at the end of the verse, everyone that's called according to his what? Purpose. God doesn't bring crises into life without and it may be without an explanation to you, but it certainly is not without a purpose. What's the purpose? His good, his glory, his honor for his sake. You see, he may not do what you think he ought to do, but he knows what he will do. Well, Lord, I think you ought to do this and then it'll be A-OK. Mm-mm. He knows what he will do for your good. Aren't you grateful for some of the prayers that God didn't answer that you prayed? <laughs> oh, I am. Because I was so short-sighted. But God's purpose was always there. Working behind the scenes to accomplish his plan. Did Jacob realize that God was taking the plan of Joseph in a foreign country to work for his good? No. But he did later on. You see, it's easy to forget that God's presence is with us and that he has a plan for us. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to wait for that plan to become fulfilled? It will be fulfilled. But will you become bitter when things happen? Like Jacob and say, all these things are come against me. Or will you just simply raise your hands and say, Lord God, I don't understand. And you may never understand this side of heaven. But Lord God, I trust you. For I know you work all things for my good to fulfill your purpose and your plan. There's also something else that Jacob forgot. He not only forgot that God's presence with, with, was with him and that he had a plan for him, but he also forgot God's purpose in him. When you read chapters 42 to 44 later on as, as the story progresses, you begin to see a great change take place in Jacob. The the edginess, the um, deceitfulness, the, the conniving spirit seems to have changed. And towards the end of his life in chapter 48, he says these verses. The God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. Isn't that an interesting statement? The God who has been my shepherd. The one who guides his sheep, the one who guards his sheep, the one who gives to his sheep, the one who takes care of his flock. And one of the sheep says, 
the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. Wow. Powerful, isn't it? You know what? The God who was that shepherd of Jacob is also our shepherd today. You know, when we go through trials, like James says, you know, there are multiple trials. You, you seem like you just got through one and then another comes. And you say, Lord, I just got that one taken care of. And, and here's another one. And this is a little bit different than this one. And this, but you know what? It's the same word as various trials. It's the same word that we used for Joseph's multicolored coat. They're never the same. They're always different. Why? When they're different, it makes us dependent upon Almighty God. And we're supposed to count it all joy. You know what my translation is? Count it, are you kidding me? Anything but joy. Your translation would be the same, right? But see, joy is the realization that the resources of God are greater than the crises that I face. His grace will get me through. He will give a peace that passes all understanding. And when trial comes, it simply needs to be, Lord, here's another opportunity where I must trust you. That's when you say, Lord, I want to experience that joy. I want to experience that peace. I want to experience that presence of you that I have never experienced before in any other trial or crisis. That's called joy. And we can say, Lord, that's what I want. But, Lord, I don't understand. Oh, that's true. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, that word if is better translated since. You're going to lack wisdom. You're not going to know what to do. That's why you're dependent upon Almighty God. So, Lord, I trust you. You see, my friends, it's not can I trust God? For that would be an affront to his character. He is certainly trustworthy. The issue is not, can I trust God? The issue is, will I trust God? Because that's your choice. So remember, my friends, when you're going through trials, it is God working his purpose in you. What? To conform you more and more to the character of of Christ, that Christ likeness. Well, I don't see it right now. Nobody does at the instant that it takes place. But when you can look back and say, that was truly a God moment. That was a God encounter. That's where I felt the presence and peace of Christ in a way I've never felt before. Oh, God. Don't let me go back and be what I was before. Let me be what you want me to be, not what I think I ought to be. So, Jacob, just like us, we're just like him. How often have we forgotten that the presence of God is with us? How often have we forgotten that in the midst of our trials and difficulties, there is a plan for us? 
How often have we forgotten that he is working his purpose in us? It's easy to forget, but it's necessary that we remember. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what trials these people are going through. I don't know, Lord, how long they have been in them. I don't know, how, Lord, how long they will stay in them. But I knew, do know, O oh Lord, you said you would never leave them or forsake them. And, O oh Lord, I pray that they will remember that though the flames are intense and the deep waters are deep, that your hand is still upon the thermostat of the flames and you'll never let us drown in the water. So, Lord, I pray that we will remember that your presence is with us. And even though, Lord, we don't see the plan now, may we remember there is a plan for us that you have. And that your purpose will be worked out in us as we choose to yield and submit to the will of the living God. Thank you, O oh Lord, that we don't have to despair because you are with us, you are for us, and you are in us. And for that, Lord, we are eternally, eternally grateful.